Hey, so welcome. Uh, today I'm talking about Frank Jackson's knowledge argument. So Frank Jackson's knowledge argument against physicalism, also known as the Mary's Room argument, has been much discussed. A very popular topic. Jackson first put it forward in an article of 1982 called Phenomenal Qualia. And later there developed a huge literature about it. Uh, books, articles, videos, and so on, including a number of other essays by Jackson. The bibliography to the uh, Stan uh, Stanford Encyclopedia entry on this, and there is a uh, Stanford Encyclopedia entry on this, has dozens of entries, seemingly. I didn't count each one, but it seems like a lot. Um, recently, it's appeared in uh, prominently, the knowledge argument has appeared prominently in the work of uh, the panpsychist Philip, Philip Goff. So see, for example, his books, Consciousness and Fundamental Reality and Galileo's Error, as well as various art uh, articles and videos by him. I'll discuss Goff's use of the argument later after introducing Jackson's version. So the knowledge argument, what is the knowledge argument? It purports to demonstrate that physicalism is false. What Jackson seems to mean is that the world as described by the physical, chemical, and biological sciences this is a quote from him, leaves something out, quote, it leaves something out. Um, this part of the argument seems to me obviously true. Physics, chemistry, and biology don't address culture and individual behavior and psychology, which would seem to be important facts about our world. Um, in a later article, Jackson add, adds a functionalist psychology to his list of physical physicalist sciences. So perhaps he would include certain kinds of anthropology and sociology. Anyway, the extent of what is covered by the term physicalism is not totally clear, but uh, this probably doesn't matter too much for what I'm going to say about it. Uh, what's often forgotten about the knowledge argument is that it's about knowledge of other minds. So the problem of how we know other minds exist from our own is one that I've discussed before. It's an old problem. Um, so how do we know other people have experiences like we ourselves do? We know that we have certain experiences when we act in the world, but how do we know that other people also have experiences since we can't really see them or touch them or anything like that, sense them? The point of the original knowledge argument is that physical science doesn't tell us something um, doesn't tell us something important about other people. So physical science doesn't tell us everything that we might want to know. It doesn't tell us some important facts about other people. It leaves something out of our knowledge of other people. And the object of this knowledge is then by definition non-physical, since physical science can't deal with it. So the uh, knowledge argument is about other minds, but is it about knowledge? Well, I'm going to suggest and argue, I suppose, that the knowledge argument is not actually about knowledge. I'm not sure whether this exact argument has been made before. As I said, there's a very large literature on the knowledge argument. But in any case, I want to be clear that my intention is not to defend physicalism, whatever that is. I simply want to show that the knowledge argument is not about knowledge or at least that it relies on a peculiar concept of knowledge that would need to be 
specifically defended. You would have to actually argue for that version of knowledge or in order for the uh, knowledge argument to work. The knowledge argument, therefore, in my view, is a bad argument against physicalism. Of course, there are other arguments out there. In my experience, most of the other arguments are also not good, but um, perhaps there are some good ones out there. So Jackson's original knowledge argument contains two thought experiments. So it's basically a thought experiment. Um, one of these is about Fred and one about Mary. Mary is more famous, but we'll, uh, we'll start with Fred. So Fred experiences finer color gradations than anyone else that we know of, anyone else in history. He can distinguish colored objects in a way that no one else can do. So where a bunch of ripe tomatoes all look pretty much the same to us, Fred can see a stark difference in color. According to this thought experiment, we know everything physical there is to know about Fred. So we know all about Fred's anatomy and about his biology and physiology and about his behavior. But according to, ja uh, according to Jackson, none of this tells us what we really want to know about his color experience. I suppose what Jackson means is that Fred's subjective experience of color is left out of our physical knowledge of him. Well, let's say that one day scientists figure out how to change other people's physiologies to be like Fred's in the relevant respects. For ease of explanation, I'm going to introduce Jane into the thought experiment. Jane's not originally in... Um, uh, Jackson's writings, but it'll be easier just to have another name that we can refer to. So let's say that scientists perform an operation on Jane so that her visual apparatus is now like Fred's. Now Jane can, we all suppose, experience color the way Fred experienced it. According to Jackson, Jane will have learned something non-physical about Fred. She will know more about Fred and especially about his color experiences. Jane will, Jackson says, know more about the special quality, as he says, as Jackson says, the special quality of Fred's experience. This special quality, quote unquote, special quality, as opposed to the behaviors that demonstrate it or the neurophysiology that supposedly explains it, uh, was left out of the physical facts that we had about Fred before. They didn't tell us anything about the special quality of Fred's experience. But I question whether, in fact, Jane will know more. Will she really know more about Fred? So Jane, with her altered physiology, will presumably have a new kind of experience, right? But in what sense does this count as knowledge about the quality of Fred's experience? So Jane will be able to do things now that only Fred could do before. Uh, scientists already knew that if they changed Jane's visual apparatus to be like Fred's, she would also be able to do these things. So Jane herself may suppose or she may believe um, that she is now experiencing color as Fred experienced it. But is this supposition or belief or whatever you want to call it, is this um, belief about the sameness of experiences, is this actually knowledge? Should we count this as knowledge? So 
if Jane sees the color distinctions that she supposedly, that she supposes Fred saw, does she necessarily know more about Fred or does she simply have new experiences? This is my question. And my, uh, my argument is that Jane is not warranted in claiming knowledge of Fred simply on the basis of her new personal individual experience. We are warranted in claiming knowledge of Fred if we can show that people with physiologies like Fred can do things that Fred can do, but which other people, people with different kinds of physiologies cannot do. So a scientist could study Fred and Jane and say, uh, before only Fred could consistently differentiate among all these ripe tomatoes, but now Jane can do it too. Therefore, uh, Jane and Fred must see color in a similar way. So the scientist could be said to know something in the sense that the scientist has evidence for making a comparison between two people. Now, it's true that he, that the scientist, so he's a he for this example, uh, does not have knowledge of the special quality of either Jane's or Fred's experience. But I'm arguing that Jane and Fred also, they also do not have knowledge of the special quality of each other's experience. All they really know, like the scientist, is that they can both do some special things that regular people can't do. But this ability, this is physical knowledge. This kind of knowledge is physical knowledge by Jackson's definition, and it's not non-physical um, knowledge. So they don't really have knowledge of that special quality. All they can really see of each other is their respective behaviors. And as Jackson himself says, no amount of knowledge about Fred, be it physical or not, amounts to knowledge from the inside concerning Fred. We are not Fred, but Jane is also not Fred. She is not looking from the inside of Fred. She just happens to have a similarly unique visual apparatus. So Jane still cannot directly compare her subjective experience, her qualia, with Fred's subjective experience. So she cannot claim to know in a relevant way any special quality of his experience. Jane has no evidence for making the comparison other than her own behavior and Fred's behavior. But again, this is appealing to physical evidence, not non-physical evidence. And this is the point I'm going to keep, keep coming back to. Why is one individual's experience of color necessarily knowledge of another person's experience of color? What is the exact link between the two things? In the modern world, knowledge, as opposed to faith or conviction or supposition or hypothesis or belief, knowledge requires some kind of evidence. So we cannot simply assert that my experience provides knowledge of your experience and leave it at that. This is a, hy a hypothesis at best. There needs to be a theory of evidence for getting from one thing to the other. What is this theory in the um, knowledge argument, in the context of the knowledge argument? Well, we don't really know. That's the problem. Um, so moving on to Mary. So the Mary thought experiment approaches this from a slightly different angle, but we end up in kind of the same place. Uh, so Mary, as you may have heard, is stuck in a black and white room. There she learns everything physical, which we suppose to mean physical, chemical, biological, behavioral. Um, so everything physical there is to know about color and other people's color experience. Then one day she's let out of the room. Suddenly 
as the saying goes, she's not in Kansas anymore. And Jackson says about this, quote, it just seems obvious that she will learn something about the world and our visual experience of it. And of course, when he says our, obviously he means people with standard color vision. But if this is the case, if Mary really learns something about us, about our experience, about our visual experience of the world, then her physical knowledge was incomplete, according to the argument. Hence, physicalism is false. As Jackson made clear in a follow-up article called What Mary Didn't Know, um, he makes clear that the key point is not that Mary learned something about herself, about her own ability to experience color. Jackson says that physicalists and non-physicalists will both agree that Mary will have new experiences after she leaves the room, and that she may learn something from them. The key point, according to Jackson, is that Mary supposedly gains knowledge about the experiences of others. Again, other minds we're talking about, kind of in the historic, to give some of the historical context. Um, in the Fred experiment, the key point was that other people, so Jane in my version, gained knowledge about Fred, right? So we we're talking about, does Jane know Fred's experience? Likewise, in the Mary experiment, Mary supposedly gains knowledge about others, about the experience of people with normal color vision. So Jackson explains that when Mary is let out of, her out of the room, the black and white room, she will realize how impoverished her conception of the mental life of others has been all along. Her conception of other people, other minds, will change to take account of something non-physical, according to the argument. But to me, I repeat, the link between Mary's experience and her knowledge of other people's experiences, this isn't clear. It's not made clear. So Mary, according to the argument, has learned everything science can tell us about color. Physical science can tell us about color. Then she experiences color for the first time. Maybe she says something like, oh, this quality must be what people are talking about when they say the sky is blue. But does this count as knowledge of other people, whether physical or not? How do we get from Mary's own experience of color to knowledge about other people's experience of color? She will still see other people behaving in the ways she's come to expect from her studies in her black and white room. Mary's own behavior will no doubt be different. For example, she'll be uh, more easily able to distinguish between red and green apples or between overcast skies and clear skies. And Mary may suppose or speculate or hypothesize that now her experience of a blue sky or of a red apple is like other people's experiences of those things. But to call this knowledge of other people's experiences seems to me an abuse of language. Just So just another example, just because I try your favorite food for the first time, do I now know something about your experience of that food? I may know something of my experience of it. I may say, you're right, this flan is really good. Or actually, I don't care for it. But it doesn't follow that I now know something non-physical about your experience. Locke, to take one example, uh, would not consider this sort of thing knowledge. He'd consider it opinion. So as I said, 
the knowledge argument has been much discussed. And someone who's made special use of it recently has been the philosopher Philip Goff, probably best known for his support of panpsychism and his arguments against physicalism. And I should point out that this is not Goff's only, not the only argument Goff uses against physicalism, maybe not the most important, but it's one he consistently has appealed to. So Goff changes Jackson's knowledge argument so that it's no longer an argument about other minds, but is simply about Mary's experience. So he focuses on Mary, let's leave aside Fred. So I'll reproduce here the steps of Goff's version coming from his book, Galileo's Error. So these are the steps that Goff gives. So number one, if materialism is true, then Mary in her black and white room has a complete and final theory of color experience. And I'll come back to this phrase, complete and final theory of color experience. Number two, then if Mary in her black and white room has a complete and final theory of color experience, then it shouldn't be possible for her to learn about some new essential features of color experiences. And yet, when Mary three, so and yet when Mary leaves her room, she does come to learn about new essential features of color experiences. She learns about what it's like to have color experiences. So step four, therefore, in uh, therefore, Mary in her black and white room can't have had a complete and final theory of color experiences. And materialism is false. Materialism being um, physicalism, same thing um, in this context. So again, just to remind you, in Jackson's version, it was accepted by both physicalists and non-physicalists that Mary would learn something new when she comes out of the black and white room. After all, her physical circumstances changed, which would cause her, which would cause physical changes to her, to her physiology or whatever. So that part was just accepted by everyone. Jackson wrote, quote, it is not an objection to physicalism that Mary learned something on being let out, such as facts about her experience of red. Before continuing uh, with a, the quote um, from Jackson, before she was let out, she could not have known facts about her experience of red, for there were no such facts to know. So in other words, um, Jack, in Jackson's view, it precisely doesn't matter, does not matter for the argument whether Mary learns what it's like for her to have color experiences. This doesn't matter. The physical facts that she had before were not about her experience of color, but about the experiences of color for people with color vision living in a colorful world. The fact that she learns something about herself when she enters a colorful world is irrelevant. Whether or not she learns anything, it just doesn't matter. But in any case, Goff also doesn't make the connection between experience and theory clear. So why should Mary's theory of color change? Just because she has a new experience. We have new experiences all the time without changing our theories. What's the link here? What's the connection? Um, Goff thinks that if Mary's theory really was complete, then sh she should already know what it's like to have, say, a, uh, a yellow experience. But I don't think this is actually an argument maintained by physicalists. At least it would be kind of a strange argument. Um, maybe some physicalists hold it. 
But unless I'm mistaken, I don't think many of them, many physicalists, would argue that having enough propositions about a topic, which is what Mary is learning in her black and white room, right? She's hearing lectures, reading books, whatever. This is propositional knowledge. And I don't think many people would argue, many physicalists or anyone really would argue that having enough propositions on a topic is equivalent to experiencing that topic, that thing for yourself. That, for example, if I read enough about skydiving, this will translate into actually experiencing skydiving. There are different physical facts involved in reading about skydiving compared to actually skydiving. Um, I think a physicalist would predict that there are different kinds of experiences involved. Different things will happen to your body. This is why Jackson doesn't make Goff's version of the argument. No matter how much I read about skydiving, this won't tell me what it will feel like for me to actually skydive. No matter how much Mary reads about color in her black and white room, this won't tell her what it will be like to actually experience color. As far as I can tell, every sane person, physicalist or non-physicalist, agrees on this point at least. Uh, so Jackson's point, remember, repeating myself, but Jackson's point was that through experiencing something, we gain facts about other people, which cannot be gotten through physicalists, uh, physicalist propositions. In other words, I may know all the physical propositions about other people's experiences that can be stated in a given language. But when I actually experience something that they've experienced, then I gain some new knowledge about them in addition to the facts represented by all these physical propositions, right? So I'm gaining, supposedly gaining new knowledge about other people, which I can't get just from uh, watching them, observing them, or reading books about experience, uh, perception, experience, whatever. And I've argued that we may gain new convictions or hypotheses or beliefs or whatever about others in this way, but we don't gain any new non-physical facts about them. If you want to call Jane's new beliefs about Fred or Mary's new beliefs about normal color vision people knowledge, if you want to call these things knowledge, then you need to make explicit the theory of evidence being used. You need to explain why we should count this as knowledge saying it just seems obvious, as Jackson does, isn't good enough. At least to me, it's not good enough. So at this point, I want to raise the question, what do anti-physicalists really want? What many anti-physicalists seem to want when they appeal to the knowledge argument is to literally have other people's experiences. This is kind of the point of the um, Fred thought experiment where Jane comes to um, almost kind of sort of get Fred's experience, but uh, there's lots of barriers to actually knowing whether she does. All right. So anyway, that to me seems to be what anti-physicalists want. They want something that will give them other people's experiences. They complain that physicalism cannot give them other people's experiences. And I think that's true. Physicalism cannot give them other people's experiences. Therefore, they say physicalism is incomplete. But I would appeal to something that the philosopher Grace de Laguna once said, that 
To ask for this is to appeal to a sort of knowledge which only a god might enjoy, or perhaps a mortal blessed with magic power. At the end of a recent debate, to give an example of this, at the end of a recent debate between Philip Goff and Sean Carroll, the physicist Sean Carroll, who was standing as the uh, token physicalist, someone in the audience raised Jackson's thought experiment about Fred, which I talked about at the beginning. Uh, then this fellow in the audience said, and I quote, here's what I want. What the hell does Fred see? Anti-physicalists seem to want a language that perfectly captures or characterizes, these are words Goff uses, capture, characterize, an experience or conscious state. They want the fully captured. They want to perfectly characterize a conscious state. But many philosophers have questioned whether this kind of verbal or theoretical capturing is possible or even desirable. I mean, what would you do with an experience once you have perfectly captured it? I would go so far as to argue that this kind of thing is uh, this kind of thing is prima facie impossible. Words can never never fully capture any phenomenon. That's not just not what they're for. So we shouldn't expect them physicalism to be able to do this, and we shouldn't expect any other point of view to be able to do this. And Goff has said many times that physical science has never explained a single conscious state. This is. Um, uh, a screenshot of one of his slides, one of Philip Goff's slides, where he mentions these things. So he talks about neuroscience here, but that kind of stands in for, uh, I think, all physicalist sciences. Um, and I can never figure out exactly what Goff means by explanation. I have the feeling he means something more like representation, right? Capturing the next uh, bullet point down. He mentions fully capture, fully capturing experience. This seems to me something different than explanation, but um, I can't figure out exactly what Goff means by these things. Um, but I think Goff here makes the perfect the enemy of the pretty good. As I said, I'm not strictly a physicalist in that I think other non-scientific perspectives give us important insights. But I think our physical knowledge of perception is already pretty good in terms of what it's tried to do. You can go ahead and read some books on the science of perception. There's a lot of them. Some are better than others. Some can be really difficult to read. But if you go through it, you'll learn a lot about perception, about experience. And I imagine the science on this will get even better because it does tend to progress. We learn new questions to ask. We learn new techniques. We learn new things. We're better able to explain the world, including the world of experience. In any case, be this as it may, whether you, whether you agree or not, Goff has also not explained a single conscious state, as far as I can tell. Is there not a double standard here in anti-physicalists demanding that physicalists do something which non-physicalists also can't do? Um, for my part, I don't believe either physicalists or non-physicalists can fully capture or completely characterize any phenomenon. I don't require them to, and I don't expect them to. Just not something that even would come into my expectation. Nothing that matters to me. The world still awaits panpsychism's complete characterization of a single conscious state, and it will have to keep waiting. This goal, in my view, is impossible, given what I see as the apparent infinite complexity of reality. 
So arguably, this is not even a de desirable, desirable goal, fully capturing something in some kind of language. So enough of the knowledge argument. But are there better arguments out there against physicalism? Well, you can let me know. But no zombies. Please, no zombies. All right. Anyway, thank you for listening. And that's all for today.